Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Creer. This week's guest is Michaela. Michaela is a avid Souls enthusiast. Uh, she started with Bloodborne. She went to Dark Souls 3. She's currently going through Dark Souls 1. Uh, she cosplays. You'll hear her describe her making her own Rikuyo from, Blood, from Bloodborne. Uh, definitely go check out all of her links, her YouTube, Tumblr, uh, excuse me, YouTube, Instagram, and uh, DeviantArt are all in the show notes. Check that out, but check this episode out before you do that, because I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Thanks for listening, everybody. experience was through a friend at work. He had just started playing Bloodborne and Bloodborne just came out. So he, you know, we were talking about the different games we play and he asked me if I had played it yet. And I said, no. And I, and I asked, you know, isn't that those hard games? And he said, (laughs) yes. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's quite the thing for me. Um, But he told me, and, and this is, this is something that I'd remember for a while is that he said, you know, I know you've been playing games your entire life. He's like, I know that you can do this. And this is actually the type of game that you would probably love because they just put you in the center of everything. You have no idea what's going on. And then it's up to you to figure it out. So I was like, oh, okay, actually, that sounds pretty great. And then it wasn't until months later, and I had nothing to play and nothing had come out for a while that I was like, well, you know what, I'll give it a try. So I went over to GameStop and I found it and it was on sale, luckily. And I read the back of it and I was like, okay, this really isn't the type of game I play a lot, but I am definitely in for this. I'm going to, there's nothing else to play. And I kind of need this right now for my own, for my own, um, you know, psychological well-being. I need a new game. What so I bought of, it. What uh, games were you playing at the time? Okay. So I, I had just finished Eternal Sonata, which was old at the time. But it was something that I'd played since like 2009. And I was like, I'm going to beat Eternal Sonata. This is a game I'm going to beat. So I beat it. And then like I had six months of just quiet. And I was like, I need something to cure this. My head is a bad neighborhood. That's funny. It's weird when you uh, finish a big thing like that and all of a sudden it's like, what do I do with the rest of my time now? <laughs> what do I what do? I know. I I'm like, no, I need I need something in the middle. Cause it's like, I, yeah, I go to work. I um. You know, I eat, I watch TV, and then I sleep. I'm like, no, I need something else to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. So what was it, uh, when you were reading the back of the box, I'm curious, like, what was it that you were thinking, like, this is not the kind of thing that I normally play? Was it just the, the third-person, over-the-shoulder kind of action game? Oh, no, I love that. That's actually um, why my coworker was so adamant on me playing, because I love games like that. Okay. I love Devil May Cry and Bayonetta. It was more the horror aspect, actually. You don't play many horror games. Not many. It, I will if it's good enough. Like if it's like an outstanding cerebral type of horror, then mm-hmm. I'll play it. So I had no idea that Bloodborne was a cerebral horror. So like I was in for a treat. Excellent. Yeah, that's a that's a ple- very pleasant surprise when you get to it and kind of in the middle of the game. Like, oh wait, this is a lot weirder than I thought it was. Oh, it was wonderful. Like that, it was just right for me. I was so shook. Like in the middle where the red moon starts hanging low and you're like, oh, <laughs> it was I had a moment and I was like, I was a little disturbed. So I went and played the DLC because I was just like, I, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> not ready for these kind of twists yet. I am not ready, but I'm so ready. So talk to me about uh, uh, playing Bloodborne for the first time, because uh, as as most people know, 
the Souls games are so different from other action games that it's it, I think that attributes to a lot of the the perceived difficulty. So it's not necessarily a mm-hmm. super hard game. It's just that it, once you ha- you have to figure out how to approach it on its own terms. Did, did it take you a while to get into that groove with Bloodborne? It did, and I had an interruption as well. Like I, so the first time I played, and I will never forget this, just because it's it, it was such an experience. I went in and I was terrified immediately. Like even from the first cutscene, seeing the little messengers and seeing the the wolf creature, I was just like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? But just the fact of going around Yarnum and knocking on doors, listening to people blame you for things and saying, it's all your fault. And just thinking, oh, my God, what what are they blaming me for? Really, what is this? Like, there's the, And I knew immediately <laughs> that there was more to it than I thought. So that that first experience was really striking. Like, it took me a week to get to, like, the bonfire part of Central Yarnum and then another week to get through it. <laughs> And it took a either a Forbes or a Business Insider article to help me through. It was like it's it's there to to test you, but don't let it make you give up. So I was like, okay, Forbes or Business Insider, I'm not going to give up. <laughs> I'm going to put that on the, at the as the bumper for this podcast because since you're literally oh, not giving up, do. skeleton, <laughs> <laughs> don't give up. It was it was great. The, the, it's the last place that I would have thought to give me hope. But I was reading articles and I knew I knew that there was more to this. And I knew that there was a mystery that I had to figure out. So I was just reading articles on I'm like, how do I get through this? And finally, there was one that gave me the solution I needed, which was just run, run right past and you'll be just fine. Because I really <laughs> was not prepared to do the crowd control yet. Like now I'm like, I'm good at crowd control, but not then. So I ran past. It was the best. It was the best feeling because it took it took a full week or two to even just get past. And I was like uh, during the days, like uh, during the boredom times, just reading articles and being like, OK, how how in the world do I do this? So now I advise everyone. They're like, I'm stuck right at the beginning. I'm like, I know exactly where you are. Let me help you. Just run. <laughs> yeah, there's four <laughs> dudes that hang out by the bonfire that just want to kill you immediately. And it's really hard to aggro just one of them at a time. So. Yeah, it is. So it's just that like in the sense of accomplishment I got, that was the first time that I got a sense of accomplishment, even if it was evading the enemy. So that was my first rush from souls. And I've been kind of addicted ever since. It's such a satisfying feeling, right? Like accomplishing something in the game that was previously taking you hours and hours and hours to even attempt and then doing it like flawlessly at one time. And you're like, oh, yeah, now I'm good at this game. I have literally gotten good. Okay, good. <laughs> it's a beautiful feeling. And then the game humbles you all over again. Yeah, so you just, ha- you just have it all over again. That's what makes it so great. <laughs> they just put um, some sort of death trap immediately after a boss room. And you're like, okay, souls. Okay, okay. I get you. I get you. I know exactly. You're just like, all right, all right. I'm not as good as as, as I thought I was five minutes ago. <laughs> so, what, um, tell me about your kind of starting gear and everything, and and why you and why you picked it. Like, which, which weapon did you go with? Oh, I went with the axe at first. Okay. Just because I felt, I just felt that it would be the best overall experience for me to use, and I was pretty much right. I used the axe until I went to Ludwig's Holy Blade, and that's still my my OG weapon. In, yeah. in Bloodborne, everyone's like, "That's that's such a cheap noob weapon." And I'm like, "It's my cheap noob weapon, and I love it." So, bug off. It uh, <laughs> I have that's what my arcane build runs is that and a um uh, a pizza cutter with like a bunch of bolt gems in it, depending on you know what chalice dungeon I'm, I'm fighting in or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. I just I love the holy blade so much. People see them just think that it's like a 
I guess because it's common that it's, you know, it's shitty or something like that. Because I've heard that exact opinion on the internet before. Uh, but I, I love it. Like, those overhand swings and everything are really good for fighting, you know, uh, the Amy's and the Chalice Dungeons and things like that. So I'm, I'm all into it. <laughs> like, I love that weapon. <laughs> so I hate, true. I hate to, when people get all shitty about weapons. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, to me, that has the perfect weapon diversity and it works for my own play style. Like, my main play style is pretty fast. So the the main uh, part of Ludwig's Holy Blade is perfect. And then when you turn it into a greatsword and when you just need that ec- that extra bit of warmth, it's perfect. You just put it in. The transformation of all the weapons are so satisfying. But that one, you just put it in. You just, oh, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's it's nice. I like, and it's a satisfying click, too. All of the yes, Bloodborne weapons are really satisfying when you transform them. But that uh, that, that click that it, when it goes into the bigger greatsword is, is really, really nice. Oh my goodness. I will tell you, I had a conversation with uh, my friend's fiance and he's an engineer. So when I was building, I, I physically built a Rakuyo sword and we were talking about how it's necessary for me to make it uh, able to pull apart and clink back together. And it's in it's, it has to have that sound. It has to, or else this isn't working for anybody. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So when I built it, I made it have that sound. I was like, yes, <laughs> this is what I need. <laughs> Okay, I, I had no idea that you were building swords, so you're gonna have to tell me all about this process because I'm gonna interrupt oh, sure. all of our Bloodborne talk to to do that. Can you can you describe that process? Uh, first off, yeah, why did you choose so, that sword? Because that's my favorite sword in the game. So, uh, well, because I'm I'm have like a I have an obsession with Maria. I love her so much, mm-hmm. and it was 2016. I really wanted to make a costume of her because I I cosplay occasionally. It's not like the main thing I do, but it's something I do once in a while. And I've been doing it for a long time, and I studied fashion and um, and historical costume in college. So I was like, "This is this is a thing I'm gonna do." And so I built the 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 sewing part of it first, and I realized that before the event I was going to, I had five days to make the rakuyo, and I was working full time. <laughs> oh, so I was like, well, "What? How am I going to do this?" But I had it's something I had luckily had a previous experience with it and experience with making weapons that can detach. So I was like, "I know what I'm doing." to the Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. So I went to the Home Depot. I bought myself a new Dremel PVC pipe. And the, the actual blade is a yardstick because I just don't, I got, I gave away all my heavy machinery before I moved cross country. So it's like, okay, I can, I have small amounts of machinery. So what can I do? So I built that sort over five days, lots and lots of sanding just because the wood wasn't ideal. Mm-hmm. And I'm like old fashioned. I don't use any of the new tools. <laughs> I'm like old ass, like Ron Swansoning my weapon, <laughs> and it's the PVC. <laughs> That's me. Like I'm, Ron is like I'm like I wish he was my best friend. We would make so many beautiful projects together. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Ron but, is everybody's uh, like dream dad. Is the way I look at him. I know, so true. I love him. I was thinking of him the whole process. I was like, okay, you know, he would love my my use of PVC pipe here. <laughs> I need to find a uh, like a Ron Swanson impersonator and just see if I can convince them to do this podcast pretending to be Ron Swanson and pretending to be in the way into souls because I think that would be a really funny like April Fool's joke. <laughs> that would be hysterical. Please do that. Like make it the next episode 69. Yeah, yeah 169 will be that. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, that'd be so perfect. Have him do dramatic readings of like the item descriptions. Oh, dude, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> that would be, especially once you start getting into the weird, uh, you know, celestial crazy shit out of the uh, madman's knowledge and things and all of the uh, blood echo packs. I forget what you call them, but like they just start getting weirder and weirder and weirder. So, uh. Oh, yeah. Like the weird stuff like the at the end where it's like. I can't do a Ron voice, but he'd be like, and then we partake in communion. I'd be like, yeah, Ron, that's right. <laughs> partake in that communion. I wonder if there's a way that I could just string together Fear the Old Blood out of some clips from 30 Rock and just do like a, like somebody that's a better editor and that has way more time than I do. Like cut together a Bloodborne trailer out of Ron Swanson dialogue from, from Parks and Rec and make that happen for us, please. Like if we just say oh, it, maybe, maybe so it'll beautiful. just happen. <laughs> I need that to happen in my life. So make it so. <laughs> yeah please somebody make it so somebody make it so please do you have um because i know you have a youtube channel i was i was poking around on it this morning before the podcast uh did you put anything up about your Rikuya build actually no that's something that i'm i really should do mm-hmm. and i'm wondering why i haven't it's i'm the type of person that i only get up out of bed if i really really mean to do something like if it's on my own um, so if for a YouTube, um, video, the, the fact that I have, I have a small amount and it's usually only if I'm very driven to do it. Like if I'm feeling like there is an itch, I cannot scratch, I will make that video and it's good. It, it always, uh, makes me feel better. So I really should, I'm thinking whether I should do like a makeup transformation for Maria. Cause I actually did a whole look for that or talking about how I made the weapon. I'm just wondering what audience, like I would like to, to, um, draw with that like who who could benefit from something like that and i'm sure that anybody who wants to build a weapon or a bloodborne weapon which is actually really fun to do and i do encourage it if you like to if you like woodworking or if you like making props um then maybe i could or even like a q a is would be good i just need the questions <laughs> yeah i think um like the the makeup tutorial and stuff i think there'd be a pretty good audience for because um there's just being associated with this podcast uh like uh, I know that there's a lot of women that are are very much obsessed with Lady Maria and probably a lot of dudes too. They just are not quite ready to admit it in public. Um, and having that. Oh my God. Of- no, that's, that's how I am too. I just have to admit it. It's like, it's, you know, part one of, of curing the problem is admitting you have it's, one. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and part two is just experiencing it for the rest of your life. That's how it goes. Oh my um, God. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm trying to, it's, I'm having a broke back mountain moment, like all the time when I start a brand new game, that's not souls. And I'm like, I wish I knew how to quit you. But I can't. <laughs> yeah. I used to call that souls. Itis was, was that thing that uh, when I was real deep into bloodborne and dark souls one, where I would, well, I should probably play another game and not just like spend eight hours invading people uh, and then put in another game and be like, no, oh, this is trash. I want to go back to Dark Souls. And it's not trash. Like Dragon's Dogma, it's a great game. I just, it wasn't Souls. So I, I didn't, I didn't keep going with it, but oh well. That was most of my 2017. I was like, okay, I've been spending like the end of 2015 and all of 2015 playing nothing but Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. So I really need to diversify and just get back to the same groove that I was in. And I've played a good amount of games this year. I played Nier Automata. I played uh, Breath of the Wild, a good chunk of Last Guardian. But still, nope, I came crawling right back. Can't let it go. That's that's what happens no. when, these, when these Bloodborne games get in your blood uh, without any pun intended. It, it just like it. There's something about them that makes you want to play them over and over. And like, oh, now I can. I want to go through a run where... I send everybody to the, um, why did I just blank on the name? The the cathedral? The, oh, the chapel? The chapel, thank you. Jesus. 
Um, this is what I get for not getting up too early. <laughs> like I want to do. Oh no, I was I was so afraid that I would blank. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna blank for half. Of oh, it's it's okay. All of our all of the listeners that we have um, seem to be super cool people. So like I've never gotten a single bit of like hate mail about you know somebody being weird or, or forgetting something or or whatever. So don't don't worry about that. Oh yeah, no worries. I actually really love listening to them. It just if you feel like you're just getting to know that person on such a level that it's hard to do on any other social media. So I've been, I've been really enjoying that. Oh, cool. I'm, thank you very much. That's, that was the goal of the podcast was to have like a casual conversation and be like, Hey, what's your, what's your soul story? Because I would listen to uh, twin humanities or bonfire side chat when they would have guests. And that was always like the first 10 minutes of the podcast was like, you know, Hey, how did you find the soul series? And I was like, man, you could do. And I was naively thought that this would be like a 30 minute podcast when I started and I, I did one episode at 30 minutes and then the next one was an hour and a half and I was like okay well this is not going to be <laughs> good but um but anyway I'm sorry yeah, let's... an hour oh and I was thinking an hour is perfect I was just thinking like how can I talk for an hour and I'm like no souls is one of the few things that I can actually talk for an hour about <laughs> I want to get back into uh, your your kind of first experience with Bloodborne. So you're you're going through, and like obviously those first few areas are, are very, I would I would say like kind of you know you have werewolves and you have like weird zombie esque creatures and everything, and then of course by the time that you get into the the forest, you start seeing snake creatures. Like you you said that early on, you were thinking that something is weird here. Like how long did it take you to kind of start putting those pieces together and and start figuring out what was going on? So a lot of my, what was cumbersome at the beginning was the horror aspect and the fear aspect. What the mystery is actually what pushed me forward the whole time. So what I was stuck, I I think I had finished Old Yarnum and I got into the Cathedral Ward and I didn't realize that you needed the Hunter's Emblem to open the gate. And by that time, my partner got, uh, she got Fallout 4 and I could not play Bloodborne for like three months. But the thing that kept me going, and I kind of knew immediately there was more to it, just from the fact that those there are peasants who are half transformed and calling me a beast. And I was like, there is more to this. I knew it immediately. So I spent that three months just thinking about it. I couldn't get it out of my head. And that was that's how I knew that there was there was there that this was a very special game and I knew that this would stick to me because it hadn't left. And finally, in January, I I found, uh, it was, this was shortly after the DLC came out, I found a Lady Maria fan art. And I was like, who is that? <laughs> like, who is this regal, majestic person who is just looking down her nostrils at me? I need to find out who that is. So I started playing again. But the way I did it was just because my PS4 was being monopolized, was I would wake up early on the weekend and I would play. And I'd play until I got frustrated and I finally looked up how do you open that goddamn gate? And it was the the hunter chief emblem. Like, all I have to do is buy a thing. I didn't know I had to buy a thing. So I bought it and it just I, I kept propelling forward. And it, it was wonderful because I didn't know how deep it went until I think it was in Cathedral Ward. I was climbing up, and then that one little note there that said it was the the sky and the cosmos are one. And then the one in Old Yarnum that said that they burned it to the ground that moonlit night and the red moon was hanging low. I'm like, oh, there's so much to this that I don't understand. And I might un- <laughs> I might understand it. And I'm so excited. Were you uh, reading item descriptions on things as well? Like, since that's the, the main way that the story is relayed to the to the player? 
Not so much at first, but luckily on the loading screens, they had the item descriptions there. So I was reading it from the loading screens at first. And then by mid-game, I um, just because I was so stuck, I had watched um, Super Best Friends play a little bit of it and the part in Cathedral Ward I was stuck on. And I noticed that the they would read every item description and it would give so much color to the story. So that's when I started learning, oh, you, you read these things. It's not just the things that are on the loading screen. And it really helped. And one thing that I think sets Bloodborne apart from even Souls is the fact that you can find notes that are really essential to the story. And even getting into Souls, I was like, it, it lacks that. And I know that it's, you know, you read the item description and part of it is that, that your mind is supposed to be foggy. But the, the fact is that the Bloodborne had those tiny little hints of like, what are you supposed to do? Like, okay, seek pale blood to, to transcend the hunt. It's like, what does that mean? But I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to seek the pale a, blood. <laughs> and then another moment that I had, I was so shook, is in the beginning when they were talking about... I think I'm not sure if it was an item description or a loading screen or a little note, but it was talking about how the bloodied rags was what caused the beastly scourge. And then you're like proverbially looking at your hands and they're covered in bloody rags and you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that you say that about the, the notes being left in the world, because that was something that was, that they did, they they did that in you know all the way back to Demon Souls and and Dark Souls one they just put developer messages in that looked like player messages uh, but it was really like if you didn't there was no way to really distinguish it unless you just kind of went online and like found the way that the icons looked or whatever um, and then in, in Dark Souls three when they did the network test they actually had that they had like a little there were little altars or something I think uh, Vadi has a video about this when went way back when before the game ever came out uh, that you would go and like interact with and they would give you like a bit of the story and then when the full game came out they had removed all of that stuff so it's a weird piece of it's a weird thing that bloodborne like so specifically does it and it's really only been bloodborne that puts these like really noticeable things in the in the in the game world that aren't uh you know the messenger messages or anything like that so yeah, yeah it's, it's actually too bad because I know that some people like the haze of Dark Souls. That's what I call it because Bloodborne I have such an understanding of and it's a deep understanding. Whereas Dark Souls, I just I find everything to be very hazy. And I try to read as many item descriptions as I can. And unlike Bloodborne, I'm trying very hard not to spoil anything. Like I'm still playing through them. But it's it's so hazy. All the story is very hazy. I'm trying to piece it all together and there there are gaps. And I, I know that's a part of the appeal, but there's something about Bloodborne and just having those notes right there for you and just giving you hints on what ha- like what happened here. That's my that was my entire mission while playing was what happened here or what is happening right now. Yeah, there's um there there's a lot of talk around like the story of Bloodborne versus the the story of the Souls games because Bloodborne is much more of a of a wrapped story like it's a mystery to figure out as opposed to souls which i, I very much think is a mystery to interpret uh and not that not to say that there's not things to interpret in the bloodborne lore like i don't want to go that far but it seems like much more of a closed loop like we have most of the pieces to put together a, a fairly good timeline and like what happened and who did what when and things like that like there's some confusion but it's not dark souls confusion where you know, basically everything is everything at all times, which is can be unsatisfying in some cases. Agreed. And I like how you put it as an interpretation, like even Gwyn's intentions, I'm still trying to, to figure out, but I don't think that's something that I can do alone either. I don't think that it's ever really put forward of what his exact intentions are. Cause the story that you get in the beginning of dark souls one is very different from 
say the story that you get in the ringed city. Like I played Dark Souls three first and I'm still like in the middle of Dark Souls one now. So mm-hmm. knowing what happened in the ring city and then going through Dark Souls one, it's a little bit haunting because I didn't think of Gwyn as having very good intentions. So going through Dark Souls one and knowing that I'm just like, oh, this is a little bit chilling, but it's it's good. It's it's an interesting experience playing it backward. I'd imagine so, because the way that Dark Souls one presents itself is as if you were the hero of a story. And that you're going to basically be going to like save Gwen or go to you know do this thing that Gwen, the honorable dragon killer guy, uh, you know did. Then you're going to help him along basically uh, by linking the fire. But it's not that at all. <laughs> like the game is actively lying to you for most of the most, if not all of the of the game. And most of the NPCs either don't know that or are actively trying to deceive you. So it's it's must be interesting playing through that like completely backwards and knowing where everything ends up. Exactly. I have um, one friend who has not played any of the Souls, game, Souls games, and he tries to argue with me because he knows what the, the what the game gives you only, but he has never experienced it. So I'm like, no, you don't understand. What you see is deceiving. And I look like the the crazy guy from from Always Sunny in Philadelphia who's looking at his like conspiracy wall, <laughs> waving at like, no <laughs> yards of red. <laughs> don't believe what you see. <laughs> just get the whole red yarn table set up and you're just gesturing at it actively like no no look i know i'm just like smoking copiously and, and looking really nuts like and this is where gwendolyn and this is where guinevere <laughs> and 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 <laughs> but if you play the ring city you know that gwen shunned the people away and i was like trying to tell him then he's like no gwen was a man of the people i was like no <laughs> he, he locked them away because he was afraid of the pygmy's power okay um, I've been following your your adventures with Dark Souls One on Twitter because you've been posting a couple of screenshots here and there, and uh, I believe mm-hmm. I, I believe the latest one that I saw was uh, you going through Sin's Fortress and hating it. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Because I I like to hear people's first Sin Fortress ex- experience because it's such a oh wonderful. Yeah, mine is fresh, so so get it well, Todd. But I so Sin's Fortress. I was really excited to go through it because I knew that was the gateway to Anor Londo. And I was like, this is when the game really escalates and starts picking up. I'm excited to go into Sin's Fortress. And then I got there and I'm not excited. I was not excited about Sin's Fortress once I stepped in there. <laughs> and you said you were trying but, to go through blind, right? Yes. Well, I, I know certain things about the story itself. So like I'm a little spoiled, but most of the experience is fairly blind so that's why i can't i wouldn't be able to give you a full or interpretation because i don't know it yet Mm -hmm. i'm still trying to piece all the pieces together but i i had um luckily i hadn't seen almost any footage of sense fortress and me being kind of a youtube junkie it's surprising that that's the case but just the fact is i went through the first room and i did just fine with the two serpents and then as i actually went through it Nah, like the the ones that hurl hurl lightning at you while the the pendulums are swinging. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I am in for it, aren't I? But luckily, I think Sense Fortress though is a perfect example of what it feels like to get good, because it just feels like you know most most of these games feel like this, but it just feels like an old game. And I'm I'm past thirty now, so I know what it felt like to play old Nintendo games, old Sega games, and just doing the trial and error over and over. So in the end, I was just I was very satisfied with the whole experience because I'm just like, okay, this is just a memory of, of of an issue of me memorizing. This is a memorization issue. So, but at first though, like just getting annihilated by serpents on these tiny little tiny little ledges. 
And then I was thinking in my head, I was like, yeah, yeah, have a giant enemy in this tiny, narrow hallway, said no knight ever. <laughs> thanks, Sin. We really appreciate it. I know. That. Thanks, Sin, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because uh, Sin's Fortress was a huge roadblock for me my first time through. Um, just hours and hours and hours of starting going through and falling off a ledge or, you know, getting killed by snakes or, or what have you. It got to the point where I was really, really good at, you know, triggering that first trap so it would kill one of the snakes for me so I didn't have to bother with him. Like, those, those kind of yeah. things. And then um, I was playing through a couple of weekends back and just literally went, got finished, started and finished sins within maybe like seven minutes. And was like, okay, so I apparently have done this enough times that it's just ingrained into my blood now that I know exactly what to do and how to get into and out of this place with the least amount of trouble possible. That's actually amazing. Seven minutes. Yeah, it's very impressive. It's pretty easy to speed run. I actually, uh, I forgot because I was going so fast, I forgot to kill that one um, giant that throws the fireballs at the top. Mm-hmm. And, and I had forgotten that he would keep doing that in the boss fight. So <laughs> I was like, whoops, that made this harder for myself without even meaning to because I was in such a hurry. Whoops, my bad. Yeah, luckily I found all that by accident. Mm-hmm. I was I was on one ledge and I saw a Titanite demon down below and I was like, how? <laughs> and then I don't know how it was, it was. It was somehow I was just kind of exploring every corridor and I found the little the the back door and I went in there. And I was like, okay, I can get a Titanite demon by now. I'm good enough. And I got one and then kept going. I was like, oh, there's another and another and <laughs> another, another. I got to run, run, got to go fast, got to go fast, <laughs> running for my life. And I finally found the, uh, uh, the ladder. So I got up there and I was like, oh, there is a giant. <laughs> so I had to, I was like, I have like one Estes left. I got to do this. So luckily just doing the whole bloodborne rule of staying by the feet actually worked really well and it topples easily so i was like okay this is not as scary as i thought it was stay behind it stab it in the butt the dark souls mm-hmm. one pro strategy for every single boss fight uh, oh so true it's i um there's a youtuber called demod christine he just calls that whole principle smack that booty okay sure that works <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do you just get behind you smack that booty my, my wife makes fun of me sometimes because I'll be uh, talking about some lore or whatever. And she's like, this is like, and I'll be like way deep into it. Right. Again, like gesturing towards the red yarn that's, that's up on the board. And uh, she's like, this is the game where you just stay behind stuff and stab it in the butt. Right. Like that's, that's the same game that you're talking about. Cause every time I see you play it, that's all you're doing is you're just right up in some dude's ass killing it. And I was like, yeah, that's, there's more to it than that. But yeah, sure. That works. You can say that. I see she has a full understanding of all the Soul series. Yep. She's, she's pretty she's pretty educated now. Just by, just by proximosis, or proximity, excuse me. I know my partner hates when I see that. I'm just like, oh, oh I got to get behind and smack that booty. And she's just like, I'm leaving the room now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going elsewhere. No. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Have you made it to the, uh, the infamous Anna Orlando Archers yet? I did. I'm currently stuck there. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm stuck. I went through for about an hour yesterday, and I made it a drinking game, which was a mistake. (laughs) You got me when I was drinking coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I had like, I was, uh, my partner was making stew, so I had a a nice pumpkin beer that I had saved. So I was like, all right, let's, let's do this Anna Orlando Archer issue. And I was doing so well. Anna Orlando, until then, I was going, everything was smooth. I was getting all the enemies really well and being very cautious. And then I got to the archers. No. And then I started speed running the archers. Also, no. Every time I died, I took a big old swig 
And then sometimes when I didn't die, I took a big old swig. And at the end, I was just like, I'm just depressed. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm just going to go get another beer and stop playing this video game now. So like the rest of the night, I was just angry. And I'm like, nah, I can't. I can't have this anger in my podcast. Now I got to ha- I got to have a good attitude about Orlando Archers tomorrow. <laughs> It took me, uh, it, again, it's one of those things just like Sin's Fortress where you do it so many times and then when you finally get it, you'll almost always get it immediately afterwards, like after that. Like it just, it clicks with you and you're like, okay, now I know how to do this for the rest of my life. Like that's just, it just works really well that way, which is, which is nice. It just, my, um, my buddies over at Bonfire Side Chat, Bonfire Side Chat call that uh, knowledge compressing space where like this, the more you know about it, the less time it takes you to traverse it, which I always thought was just a, a very, a very clever turn of phrase when it comes to the Souls game. For sure. And it's very true. I like how it just, again, it feels like a classic game where the more you do it, the more you know. And then maybe even years later, you can still do it in your sleep because you struggled so hard. And then that one beautiful moment where you're able to just get through the obstacle that you were struggling with, it just doesn't, it feels like nothing else. Yeah, it's really, I mean, that's it's probably the reason that people talk so highly about the souls games and i think that's played into a little bit of the uh the marketing behind it as well as that sense of accomplishment of doing something so quote-unquote difficult when in reality like i'm sure you've seen going from bloodborne to dark souls 3 now back to dark souls 1 that like the hp bloat is is very very real like they've, they've slowly but surely increased like just the, the amount of hits that you have to do to kill a boss as opposed to making you learn it and then once you learn it it goes really really quickly for sure i think the the main thing though that the the newer games have that the the first one does not and i had to change my entire play style to in order to play dark souls one effectively but there's no omnidirectional rolling like they they give you tools to be able to do it even with hp bloat so i'll i will be an hp bloat apologist right here and just say (laughs) that they give you they give you everything that you need to be able to defeat these things and i know that i'm shooting myself in the foot because i'm on new game plus five and bloodborne and like I will still be one shot and just cry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, but just omnidirectional rolling is my best friend and not having that in dark souls. One is so difficult. I had, I, it was a hard learning curve for me, but now I know to use the shield, which I did not do dark souls three. I only used it once. And that was for lady Frida and the rest of the game. I did not use the shield practically ever. Oh, except for uh champion Gundir. I did a lot of uh parry spam with him. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, coming from Bloodborne, like where you don't have, you don't learn to rely on a shield. Like a lot of people, when they start with Dark Souls One, a lot of the advice was, you know, get the biggest shield that you can find and upgrade it as much as you can, and that'll that'll make the game easy. And it does. It makes it kind of trivial, to, to be honest with you. And but once you shake that shield habit, it's it's a much more dynamic game. I always the, the omnidirectional rolling thing is weird. It's not something that I've ever noticed, but it's it's come up a lot since they've announced a remaster because I've seen a lot of people wondering if. Um, if the remaster is going to change things like that, because the everybody's thought is that it's going to be based on the Dark Souls three slash Bloodborne engine, but so maybe those 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 kind of things will be changed. But I wonder if that would like make that different enough to bother people if they start making changes like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because I know I've heard all these different accounts of what's going to be on the remastered edition. I would love omnidirectional rolling and it would change my entire play style for, for one, because I, I really relied on it. Honestly, it was my best friend through bloodborne and three. So just not having it has been a struggle. Like I would do a role that I would think go would, I would go in one direction, but instead it would take me directly forward and right into the, like say the boss's strike. So I was like, Oh, this is a learning curve. So having that, it would, it would change the entire experience for me at least. 
Are you planning on going back through Dark Souls One when the remaster hits? Because I know you, I don't know where do you playing I, it on now? Are you playing it on a console? So I'm playing it on Xbox 360 okay. right now, and I would I can't wait. I'm I'm actually excited, and I think I will replay it just from the fact that I will have a better understanding of what I'm doing, and I'll have the online parts. Right now, I no longer have Xbox Live Gold. So I can't have any of the notes. I can't interact with anybody. I can't get invaded or invade. That's why I'm struggling with getting humanities right now because I can't do any of the online aspects. So having that access to online will be such a great and refreshing experience, I think. Especially because um, like I'm playing it on 360 now as well, uh, but I am playing it online. And it, like there's still people playing, but it's it's nowhere near what it was like back in 2011, 2012 when the game was just getting really huge. So I'd imagine that the remaster is going to revitalize all of that. And there's going to be tons of messages and people invading and playing and all that stuff. So that's a bummer that you don't have Xbox Live because I'm right in, or- in Orlando with my recent build. And I, I just got a bunch of red orbs from Kath. So I was going to go invade you if I could. But I guess not. Ah, <laughs> you're like, oh boy. I'm so <laughs> there's a new player in, in Orlando? I heard a rumor. <laughs> I'm the one, the only new player in in Orlando right now. Yeah, it's unfortunate though because like I know you at this point you'd kick my butt, but maybe when the remaster is out, we'd be an even match. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do. I do dumb gimmick builds anyway. Like I, I the all of my PvP stuff was just trollish as hell. Like it was, it was ridiculous. So. <clears throat> I know I was listening to another podcast and you were talking about trolling people from the top of Sen's Fortress and I'm like, that's awful and hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that, <laughs> that, uh, I called him Fat Tarkus because it was just a Tarkus <laughs> gimmick uh, that was just really, really plump and, uh, no weapons or anything, just a shield. And I would just, because at the top of Sin's, like, there's only one direction you can go. So you can just put yourself in the middle of a doorway and just not let them go through and, you know, it's ridiculous and dumb and people go crazy and it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. I'll send you some videos of that if you're, if you're curious about it because it's, Oh, please it's, do. It's yeah. I'm, really I'm always down for watching videos. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to Bloodborne for a minute, uh, because we got kind of in the middle where it started turning. Um, but you, and then I believe you said you would gone to do the DLC. I'm curious how, as someone who had seen that fan art of Lady Maria and gotten very interested, uh, what was it like finally like going through the DLC fighting her killing her and then realizing kind of all of the lore significance that she has with the with the rest of the main game so i loved the dlc it was the the best dlc i've ever played and basically one of the best gaming experiences i've ever had so i went into the dlc and just one thing that struck me immediately was just that it was daytime so it, it changed the entire format for me. Like I'd long since abandoned my fear of Bloodborne. So that was the, the first thing is I was I was kind of crippled with fear at the beginning. But then I had kind of an, an a really complex internal change happen through a dream of all things. And it it eliminated the fear. So just the fact that it was day though, it just made it even better. Um just the fact that the sun was out. So I was like, Oh, this is great. I felt like one of the blood drunk hunters. I was like, Ooh, you can hunt and it's during the day and I could do it all day, every day. And it's great. <laughs> and ooh, there's a blood river right in the middle. Hi, it's a party now. <laughs> but I, um, <laughs> unfortunately I knew some of the bosses by then. I had already spoiled myself, which I'm, I wish I didn't, but I knew Ludwig was there. So I was like, this is so important. Like Ludwig was, we don't know anything about Ludwig. We know practically nothing about Lawrence. And here they are, like just eating their just desserts right here in the in the nightmare because you you see them in Yarnum as these holy figures and these these righteous figures. I used to argue that they weren't 
they weren't going through or they weren't experiencing any regret for what they had done and like all the the terrible things that they unleashed upon Yardum. But then my my friend Michael Lee, who I play with a lot, he mentioned he's like they are. They're not like Lady Maria where they're they're in steeped in regret and they're not atoning, but they're living with it. They they've become these nightmare creatures. She hasn't, but they have, and they lost their humanity because of it. I was like that that is such an astute thought about it. So, um, you know, long story short, still still going through. And Maria, she actually was the thing that taught me how to get good at pretty much all of the games. So just the the cutscene, it's almost indescribable. Like the, there's so many emotions to it. Like there's, it's the only, I saw once online that it's the only time that your player character shows fearful body language. Just the, mm-hmm. and the, the way it was presented. Like I recently looked at the cut content and I'm so happy they cut so much of it and they just left what they did because it was, uh, th- just seeing her, um, like I, I deal with depression. So seeing her, it was like, it was really striking for me to, to look at that. And I was like, like it, it was, uh, I just stopped because like, you, you saw that image and you knew that she, or at least you got the strong sense that she committed suicide. So there was something going on in this DLC that was so much bigger than what you already knew. Like this wasn't just like a playground for hunters. This is definitely a punishment. And this, this one character, she paid the ultimate price and you, I mean, going through the research hall was an experience too, because I, I was a little spoiled, but I noticed that nobody really talked about the NPCs in the research hall, not just Adeline, but the, all of them, the ones, like the ones that you, I think the best experience I had was when you went into that dark room and the NPCs were saying like, Lady Maria, take my hand, don't let me drown. And I was just like, she had like really helped these people. These people are suffering deeply. Um, you don't see like in the most of the rest of the game, you don't see how these people suffered, but you saw there and you knew that she was there to alleviate the suffering. Even if she was a part of this massacre of the fishing village, like these people look up to her and she's this cool, badass hunter. So you just, you love every bit of her because she is, she is strong. She's like the complete opposite of the stereotypical RPG female NPC that's like, oh, I'm so happy to be of help to somebody. No, she will absolutely <laughs> annihilate you if she wants to. And and she she only, she doesn't want to hurt you. She just wants to prevent you from potentially seeing what happened in the fishing village. And you being a hunter, I believe that she thinks that, you know, that something like this might happen again in the pursuit of knowledge, just like how it happened in Bergenworth. So the fact that she's there trying to stop you and you know that going through, if you went through the research hall and really like, you know, looked at every nook and cranny, that's something that I did. You know that she was not a bad person or even if she made some terrible mistakes, like she was here for these people where it didn't seem like they had anyone else. Like the church had their, had their, they kept up appearances and they were downstairs, you know, with the fancy beds, with the nice green green curtains on each four poster, everything looked really ideal. But then when you actually went upstairs to the research hall, things were very different. And it just looked abandoned where she was the only one taking care of these people and looking after their well-being. So like that would, to me, that just blew my mind. Like having someone like that in a dystopian type of narrative, like she is a caretaker. You never see that of, of people who are, who are sick. And it to me, it was like, it was mind blowing. Like that's why I'm still, like I'm still wrapped up in it so much. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like that's the reason that so many people have responded so positively to Lady Maria. It's exactly because she's not that stereotypical trope that you get in a lot of video games of of either the the person that your character is interested in or that the you know they're interested in you or or, or whatever. It's just like she has her own story and the player just isn't a part of it. Like she's got her own shit going on basically. Like you're not it doesn't she you are insignificant to her in a way that doesn't happen in, in a lot of video games. And it also, like, I remember, because I played all this stuff on release and playing through this and realizing that, like, the interconnections with the doll and German, like, and how kind of skeevy that whole thing was. Uh, was oh, yeah. It was something that, you know, they've never really done that in a Souls game before. Like, they've made characters, uh, a lot of the NPCs end up being worse than you expect. And, that, you know, that's, that's kind of a stereotypical Souls NPC thing. But this was having an NPC, like, that had violence done against her and that you kind of discover it over the course of the game and then realize at the end like oh yeah the last boss of this game is really a sicko like this dude is not good like you, you kind of knew it from the beginning of the game but having the confirmation in the dlc was like oh 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 now now i actually want to go kill him 100 percent need to yeah, go kill him right now it's so funny because you know that he had an unhealthy obsession with maria but at the same time, it's it's odd. I just feel that he's just this sad character. Like, I feel bad for Garman. And I knew that they, like, you know, definitely will never, ever, ever ship them. But I'm like, they must have had some good times together. And, like, he really held on to that and was broken when she when she committed suicide. Like, And because there was so much of the narrative that these pivotal characters didn't really feel bad for like, or seem to feel bad for, even though you know that Garamond is living with it and suffering every day because of it. But there's so much of it that they, these other characters were not atoning for, but just, I think knowing what happened, I feel like he either was a witness to her suicide or he may have like come in after, or, or just the thought of knowing it, I think just broke him after, after all that they'd been through together, you know, the, all the training that they had, like, so I feel, I feel genuinely bad for Garman. I don't think that he was like, he was a, he was a sicko or a psychopath. I think he was a little bit because of his unhealthy obsession with her, mm-hmm. but I just, I just feel like he's a sad man. Interesting. That's a good take on it. There's, there's definitely um, people shipping German and uh, Maria, by the way. You can definitely find That's them. not my thing. I personally, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those, those uh, Maria Adeline people. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, man. That's In not one head, I've heard before, but okay, I'm into it. Yeah, it's, well, <laughs> um, let's just say I'm not, it's not something that I think is serious in the lore. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's like, oh, this is definite. This is definitely canon. No, it's more like. I had this realization when I was playing, I think, New Game Plus, and I was going through the research hall, and I was streaming it, and I saw Adeline, and I was doing her quest, and I know that the people who watch me stream, they're like, I don't want you to read all the item descriptions, but I'm like, I'm going to read all the item descriptions. <laughs> so I was reading the, I think it was the the key to the garden, and in the end, it said that she she gave the key to Adeline so that she would feel comfort in the scent of the flowers, but Adeline couldn't fathom her intention. So I was like, wait a second. <laughs> just wait a just a second. There's something going on here. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's one of the better ships that I've actually, I've heard out of, out of coming out of Bloodborne. So I'm, I'm into that quite a bit. And it's like Garman couldn't, or Maria couldn't fathom Garman's intentions and Adeline couldn't fathom Maria's intentions. And there is just a love triangle here and it's, wonderful and terrible and 
It's, it's, like it's a, all in my head, though. I'm not gonna be like, I'm not gonna be like, this is definitely the case. But sure. no, it's more like it's it's something that I'm just like, oh, this is this is a very delicious hint right here that I can cherish by myself alone. <laughs> I think when it comes to uh, shipping characters and in, in video games and really any kind of media, um, I do a I do a podcast on that TV show Supernatural. So uh, oh yeah, I I am you just by nature of the beast <laughs> like you get a, you get like kind of caught up in a lot of that stuff uh but a lot of that a lot of it is i think as long as it's like headcanon right like as long as you are not like trying to push that into a game or something or into into actual like the story of it like it's just fine like it's just fun like and that's it took me a little while to understand that most people just they like two characters and they want to see them together like it's not it's not like they're demanding that it be made canon. Like there, no one's petitioning from software to get to put more DLC in to to make these things happen, right? Like that's not that's not a thing that people do. So. Oh, agreed. Yeah, I just I feel like so much of it is just an exercise of the imagination. Yeah. That the the crowds of people that kind of demand that their can that their ship become canon, I don't understand it and I don't agree with it either because it's not. I mean, your ship might not necessarily be very good <laughs> and that <laughs> that and <laughs> that's my slytherin side hi but um <laughs> but not only that though but just the the fact that you there is a storyteller here and you're demanding things of the storyteller i don't think is fair but you can but isn't it fun to just imagine something like in your in your head like just thinking, hmm, like this might have happened or this might happen or I see tension between the two or I'm reading tension. And it's just it's fun to as something that it keeps your mind active, mm-hmm. so to say. This is why when I was a kid, Inspector Gadget was my best friend. Like that was just, yeah. a, that was just a fact. I, but I wasn't writing the whoever wrote Inspector Gadget and demanding to be put into the show. I mean, I might have wrote one letter, but I, I was really nice about it. So. Oh, that's so sweet. No, that's really just, cute. I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't do that. Oh my god! Yeah, if you did though, that would have been adorable. Like this little, this little Jeremy going like, "Hi, I'm Inspector my name Gadget. is Jeremy. I am nine years old. I love Inspector Gadget." Um, they would have probably loved receiving that. <laughs> you know what? I'm I, I I'm almost positive they would they probably received a lot of letters from kids, and I'm sure a bunch of those animated series did back then because like it was you know it was so easy. I feel like cartoons back then, maybe that's just because I'm old, but like cartoons back then were, was, were better in a way that cartoons aren't now, but I, I, who knows? Anyway, that's yeah, probably and just the, I mean, old. The cartoon characters didn't look like, well, except for like Ren and Snippy. Well, I mean, I'm shooting myself in the foot, but some of them didn't look like just like these vile caricatures of, of people. They looked like people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to get into some Dark Souls 3, uh, so because it's... It's it's such a divisive game in the community, and I'm curious as a as a relatively new player who started with Bloodborne, and uh, I w- I'm sure was pretty excited about a, a new Souls game coming out when it started coming out. Like, what was your experience with that game? Like starting it up and getting into it, adjusting with to the the combat changes and things like that. Oh, so with Dark Souls three, I was lucky because I had finished Bloodborne weeks, only a couple of weeks before it came out, and the my same friend asked if I was getting Dark Souls three. And I was heavily considering just going right to Dark Souls 1 and kind of playing it right. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to get this so backward if I don't. But at the same time, I was excited because I'd gotten into Bloodborne a little late to my standards. And the thought of getting into a game where I can actually talk about it with my friends and and seeing like, hey, where are you at right now? And and sharing the boss videos and be like, hey, hey, I beat this boss because I, I beat games really slowly. So just just going through that was really exciting. So I decided to just 
to take that moment, pre-order the game and get it the day it comes out. And it, it um, the, the thing that I loved about it was that it had a lot of the, you know that it had a lot of the combat and gameplay style of Bloodborne. Like you can, it's a little slower, but you can still roll. You can, you don't have to use the shield if you don't want to. Like I didn't use the shield for most of the game. So I really enjoyed that. But the change, I was pretty prepared for the change. The thing that I didn't, um, I didn't connect with as much, and I'm actually happy that I got into Bloodborne first for this reason, was just the lack of those little developer notes, the lack of mystery there. I was like, okay, you get the sense in Bloodborne that the events of the story are palpable. They're happening right now. Like shit is hitting the fan at this moment. But whereas in Dark Souls, you knew that it happened long, long ago. So you're just you're just sitting here in this desolate land and you know that this land was it, it used to be something but now it's it's just long since long since been been desolated and kind of abandoned. So that that experience gave me the strong desire to end the the first flame. I was just like no this is over. And I think that this was even from <laughs> stop saying let it go. Let yeah. it go everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's over. Please don't make us do another one of these. Please please please. Which, it was good though. I actually liked that. There was something about that. I was like, oh, I connect with this. But I knew while playing it at first, I was like, you know, I don't know if I would have gotten into the series so hard if I had started with Dark Souls because it took me a while to really get into the groove and get into it. It was by probably one of the first bosses that I was like, all right, let's do this. But it took me a little, it just, it, it took me a little bit to to get excited about it. And there was no mystery to figure out. You're just like, oh, this is, this all already happened. And I'm just walking through this old world. It's like walking through a, a ruin of something. Like say you go to the Parthenon and you're like, this, this is beautiful now, but imagine what it was before. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting because it, 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 the, as being the third game in the series and like in a series that was kind of known for already being um hundreds or thousands of years after a bunch of shit happened and you're kind of trying to put Mm -hmm. the pieces together and then setting it further down that path um but then something's feeling so close to dark souls one it's it it makes a weird mixture like it makes going through that game kind of kind of weird for me because there's so much there's so much stuff i love about it but at the same time like i you know the there's just stuff in there that i'm like why why Andre though? <laughs> like, and that's the thing that I always keep coming back to is like, why Andre? And it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't really affect the story in a grand way. It's just, it's just one of those things that messes with me a little bit because it's so, it's so far set in the future and like everything is dying. All of these things are coming together. This entire world is kind of collapsing in on itself. And th- th- here's a dude from dark souls one that was felt like from thousands of years ago. It just, it just felt weird to me. Um, and not to, not to say it's bad. I don't, I don't want to hate on Dark Souls 3 too much because it's kind of a, 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 a rote thing to do now. And I genuinely like a lot of what the game does. But it's it's interesting to hear people who play that game for the first time without playing Dark Souls 1 because they have zero of those issues. Like they, They're just like, yes, absolutely. This world is collapsing and everything's together and everything's cool and everything's bad. Like We're just going to destroy it. So I always, I always yeah, like that's... hearing that perspective. Yeah, that's basically how I felt about it. I didn't understand the whole backlash against it because I loved it so much until I started Dark Souls 1. Then I'm like, wait a second. These, the, this, I like the, the way or the story pacing in Dark Souls 3, and I love the gameplay. I think the gameplay really makes it win out personally for me. But the NPCs in Dark Souls 1 are better. So I think that a lot of these NPCs are probably reborn from the ashes just like you are, and they're ashen ones now. But Andre, I think I understand exactly what you mean. 
Because in number three, he's just like, I don't want to see him work squandered. And you're just like, okay, Andre. But then you go in one, and he seems to genuinely care about your welfare. So with Dark Souls being so similar in experience to having uh, things like depression and going hollow being a really good metaphor for that, I think. Someone like Andre going, don't you dare go hollow. I don't want to see, I don't want to see you going hollow. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was, it was a very different sentiment. I think the NPCs really got it right and hit the nail right on that sweet spot in Dark Souls 1, where I think they kind of missed it a little bit in some cases in Dark Souls 3, like Andre, who he's more like, he's more wrapped up in his work and he doesn't seem to really care about you. Yeah. There was a guest on the show that, um, her, her name is Diana and she, uh, she wrote a whole essay about, kind of connecting the dots between dark souls one, two and three and how everything is pretty much based on memory. And, um, it's, it's, it's a really interesting article. She talks about fire and, and how that's linked to memory in the games and, and things like that. And it justifies a lot of this stuff. Um, but at the same time, like I, when I first got there to Firelink Shrine, uh, and I heard that, like you know, that distinctive clink clink, and I was like, "Wait a mm-hmm. minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" And I think I just, and I think a lot of people when they saw that were expecting more to happen with that. Like I kind of wanted Andre, if not to recognize me, then to have that same sort of camaraderie that he did in Dark Souls One, and to have that go yeah. somewhere in the game, and, and just for him to be there and like not to have any story or kind of significant plot around it was kind of a bummer i don't know if you know this in dark souls oh God, 1, like he, he was originally supposed to like get you into the the fire into either the kiln or firelink shrine i can't remember like he was an integral person of the story he wasn't just a random oh wow yeah so seeing him again i was like oh are they going back to that well where you can where he's going to be like part of this whole process but no not at all so oh well so is that thea many that you mentioned because I, yes. I love her stuff mm-hmm. I, I watched her dark souls 2 lore through like or a fairly significant part she she makes some connections that are still way over my head and i just i think that is so remarkable and i can't wait one day i hope she makes her own videos she uh she is is just like she's so smart and so intelligent and i, I read like oh, i've yeah. read her i've read that essay probably three times because we recorded the interview and then um, she finished it between after we had recorded it, but before the episode came out. So we did like a, a mini thing afterwards. We did like an appendix thing that I tacked onto the end of the episode where we talked specifically about that. And she's just, she's just operating on a different level than I think a lot of, a lot of people are <laughs> like, and it's, and it's extremely interesting and, and smart. Like I, I love all of the stuff that she's doing. I loved seeing her on like, let's talk lore and, yeah. and just her being a guest. It was, it was significant for me too, not only because she's, she's extremely bright and she's making these these incredible connections, but at the same time, it was so nice just as a, a woman Dark Souls fan to see a woman in the community being on prominent YouTube videos. Like to me, that's so important. Yeah. I just feel like there's a lack of women voices and it's it's just I'm like I, I'm excited. I'm so excited to to just hear to hear one there and just have that representation is is important to me. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because uh when I ask people like, you know, when they start looking for Dark Souls one lore a lot of people will quote uh, Epic Name Bro or Vadi Vidya for their like the lore meisters. But uh, I remember when all this stuff was happening, like uh, Chaos Witch Quaylog was doing YouTube videos, and she was like one of the only women voices that I remember on the early Dark Souls stuff. And she did these absolutely adorable like pencil and paper drawings of lore stuff, and it was just her in front of a camera talking stuff, and it was really really good. But I think just how shitty the community can be. She eventually just quit or ran, ran off or, you know, didn't want to do anything with the, the dark souls anymore. And can't really blame her because the community can be kind of bad. <laughs> so it, it can be kind of miserable. That's why I, with this podcast, I've always tried to like get that level of representation if I can to try to bring those voices to light because 
there's just not enough of them. Like they're just, and I know, I know people are out there playing. <laughs> they're just not putting stuff out there for, because it's the internet in 2017 and 2018 and it sucks for women. So. Yeah. And I actually really appreciate, I saw the tweet that you were saying that you wanted um, female guests and mm-hmm. I just, just to, to have been just first of all aware of that. And number two, like seeking to, to make that happen. Like I, I was like, that's part of why I wanted to be on, on this just because I was like, this is somebody who like, who wants to make sure that, that his podcast has representation. I just, I love that very, very much. And so I knew that, I knew that that was such a, a such a positive uh, contribution to, to the fandom. Like um I, for me, like I, I know fandoms can be, can be a deep and murky place. So I try to stay at least within like trying to have conversations with, with people that, that I feel are, are a positive influence on the fandom and, and we'll, we'll keep up the good. And I just, I try to stay away from the darker corners. <laughs> try. <laughs> yeah. It's, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, uh, my, my co-host on the supernatural podcast about how it's usually just better for us to nowadays to just try to play or experience media in a vacuum, because I think it's really easy to, Oh, I've watched this thing or I've uh, you know read this book, watched this movie, I played this game, and now I want to go seek everything that people are saying about it out. And more and more I'm pulling back from that and just trying to live with my own experiences because as interesting as that can be and as eye-opening as it can be to get different people's opinions, it seems like, especially nowadays, there's so much of it that, and so much of it can be not great <laughs> like so much of it could just be argumentative almost about like the oh know, agreed what, what, and, and people love oh yeah people love, love to be outraged i think absolutely yeah and i think people just like they to argue it. just to argue which is not something i'm really interested in that's i don't know i've, I've kind of fallen out of love with the, the with the internet as a whole like i don't and i know we're way off topic so i'm sorry everybody <laughs> but yeah oh yeah no worries no it's, <laughs> it's all good it's, it's all fascinating and it does tie into dark souls because you're talking about the the community mm-hmm. which um with the Dark Souls community, it's funny because I got into that very slowly. The first videos that I saw were I was trying to get some tips on how to do Bloodborne bosses. And I found this horrendous video that was like the top 10 easiest Bloodborne bosses. And the guy on it, just the fact that he feels he feels compelled to say drivel like this. And he was saying, oh, yeah, if you're if you're not good at the Bloodstars beast, you might as well kill yourself. I'm like, oh, my oh, God, wow. this is Jeez. awful. That was my first impression. <laughs> but it was finally when I got into the, the lore. It was much later. It was months later that I was like, OK, there are some really great people here. I just need to avoid the, the ones that feel the need to just spout absolute trash and then go to the people that are more of the the heavy feeling intellectuals who like are into this game for for their hearts and their minds which I know that these games feed very heavily so I'm I'm very I feel very lucky that I'm able to talk to people who who are very decent usually they have other things to do with their lives but they just happen to love dark souls and and just feel it very heavily and want to talk about the lore and I, I love I love that about the community yeah it's 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 fascinating watching the the people that are like there's definitely the the YouTube people out there that are doing it straight up just to earn money from YouTube and like that all of their yeah. all they're trying to do is feed the, the algorithm right because Dark Souls kind of created this cottage industry and you look at Avadi video and you're like oh wow that dude has an extremely successful Patreon I want to do that and so you start doing that exact th- same thing which I don't really think works like I don't think that people need two Vadi videos in the world like I just don't think that that's the case but you look at the the JSFs and the Aegons doing something kind of completely different. And Diana as well, uh, Themania as well. 
taking totally different you know approaches to this, but also leaving behind the you know there's no thirty second intro. <laughs> there's no. <laughs> oh, I agree. I, I think they're actually my favorite Souls YouTubers. Like I, I yeah. love what they have to present. And JSF talking about the cultural implications of of the different areas, and and Aegon going methodically through every single area, taking his. His time that he, you know, he's works and he is a grad student and, and just knowing that he's sacrificing his time to to go through and explain these little things and just and and Theomini with her with her amazing essays. I need to still read a lot of them just because I'm still playing them. But mm-hmm. I, I, I would love to see her do videos and just the fact that she contributed to them and, and has such incredible insight. It really I, I love spending time watching their videos They're They are my favorites, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Um, I got most of my exposure to the community was extremely bad because um, I started doing mm. a lot of PvP and I started getting hate mail. And um, ah, I've gotten some of that. I've yeah. gotten some. Of that. Usually, they assume I'm a guy because I beat them. <laughs> <laughs> Little do you know. Uh, man, <laughs> take uh, off the mask. I feel bad. I'm no man. <laughs> I've had friends that had uh, very obviously like feminine names um, on the PSN or something, and the or Xbox, and the, the the trash that they would get is just it, just ridiculous. Like a a whole level beyond the other stuff that people that I would see from other people. Like it was just insanity. So. I, I'm I'm kind of like you that I'm, I feel so lucky that now we have the bonfire side chat, the JSF, the Aegons out there. So that if people want to go find this stuff, like they're not just getting exposed to the worst aspects of the community. So I'm glad we've kind of weeded some of that. Oh, out I agree. I feel like they, <laughs> I feel like they as a group really, honestly, they help to clean up the community. And I love that they're one of part of the reason why I started doing my YouTube stuff. And I have a couple lore videos in there, even though my whole channel isn't dedicated to it, mm-hmm. just because there were certain gaps that I saw that I wanted to fill. And frankly, I was sitting there waiting and I was like, when's someone going to do a, a video about some of the designs in Bloodborne? Because they're so just they're sumptuous. They're they're beautiful. Like what what about some of these these things? And I'm, I'm seeing parallels. I'm like, OK, I'm seeing this one designer and like all of his designs are so similar. Like, is anyone going to catch this? And I waited a year and no one caught us. I was like, I'm going to make this video. (laughs) Even if I don't have the best equipment, I'm going to do this. Same thing with Lady Maria. There are certain parts of her character that I feel that people neglect to either notice or mention them. Like when's somebody going to make this video? And I saw some people had made really incredible ones, but I was like, there's still a few things missing that I would like to contribute. So I just, I mainly started to do a couple lore ones to fill in what I saw as gaps and I didn't, I don't want to just add to the the soup. I want to add a new spice or a new flavor to it. That's, that's the main, the main thing that I wanted to set out to accomplish with, um, with the couple of videos that I have. So with all of that in mind, I'm curious, <clears throat> we're, we're in kind of a good spot with from software games. Like we have five enormous, huge games that, you know, that we, we can go back and play as many times as we want to dark souls. One's about to come out and they've, tentatively announced this um, Shadows Die Twice, which is either the name of a video game or a tagline of a, vi- of a video game. Uh, what are you kind of wanting to see from From Software? Like, what, what, what game do you want to see them go next, do next? So this is such an interesting time to be a Souls fan, and I'm loving it because I feel like for, for some of the first times I'm here for the, the first little little bits of sunlight... Uh, and the first little insights into a new series. I'm personally hoping that they do a new IP uh, just because it will allow them to explore all the things that I felt that they knew that they weren't able to do with Dark Souls 3. Even playing it, I knew that they they felt like they really wanted to do something new. I don't, according to Fextra Life, they haven't had any new licenses yet. 
So I don't know, or I don't think at this point that it'll be a new IP, but that's frankly what I'm hoping for. Like the, the Bloodborne fan deep inside of me, the one that wants to go right back to Yarna and like take off my hat and be like, Milady, I want, <laughs> I would love Bloodborne too, but I know that in my heart of hearts, I would love to just see them, see them fly and to see them create something brand new that we haven't seen before and really knock it out of the park like they did with Bloodborne. Yeah, that that seems to be the most common answer to that question, and because uh, I I talk to at least a couple people a week about it, and just let from software be from so- from software. It seems to be the the most common uh, answer, and I and I have to agree. Like as as much as I want more Bloodborne, I kind of just want more Bloodborne combat. Like I don't necessarily need more story about Lady Maria Gurman or the church or anything like that. Like I just want more of Bloodborne. <laughs> like that's just not necessarily Agreed. in that like world. They- I think that they would have to take it to another area. Like, you know that the Scourge isn't just exclusive to Yarnum. Like, there was a version, like, they called the Sanguine Plague in, in Kanehurst. So you know that it's it's present in different worlds. So if this is a Bloodborne 2, you see the the sort of old-style kanji script. So you think that, oh, maybe they're going eastward with this. Maybe they're going to Japan or maybe to, to China. And, and you're going to possibly see something like that there. But I feel that... I, this is my head versus my heart with Bloodborne. My head says that Bloodborne is a nearly perfect game and the story wraps up so significantly well. And it just, it's so well-rounded that to see something more has the risk of diluting that beautiful formula. Um, whereas my heart's like, yay, more Bloodborne. <laughs> Give me more. <laughs> just, just uh, get an IV and just put in my veins. <laughs> Yeah, that's the head versus the heart speaking. Well, Michaela, thank you so much for guesting. This has been an absolute delight to to talk, be able to talk to you about your soul's experiences. So thank you very much for, for coming, getting up a little bit early on a Saturday and, and guesting with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, no worries. Well, thank you so much for having me. Where can uh, people find you on the Internet should they choose to do so? Okay, so I have a couple of pages and I can send you a few links in a moment. Mm-hmm. So I have a YouTube page. I believe it's YouTube slash user slash my first name, Michaela, M-I-C-H-E-L-A. I have my public uh, social media. I have an Instagram, which is, it's these are all long names, so definitely I'll send you the, the text links. There's Michaela D. London. That one has a D-E-E in the middle. And then Twitter is Michaela, just the letter D like David, London. Um and also I have a DeviantArt for my costume stuff. So if you want to see the Lady Maria stuff, I'm working on in Elite Armor slash Astora build. So I'm hoping to have that done next year. I'm giving myself plenty of time for it. So I'm going to do some more some more costuming from Soulsborne that can be on my DeviantArt or any of my social media. The DeviantArt one, my my handle is Ice Queen Serenity. It's IceQueenSerenity.DeviantArt.com. Cool. Yeah, and uh, be, sh- be sure to check out the show notes for all of that stuff. Um, go check out her videos and all of her. Like, I'm about to go check out all the cosplay stuff because I can see that you have your in the banner for YouTube. You have like it looks like you have your uh, Lady Bria outfit on. I'm gonna go check that out. So, yay! Just just I this past it. week, yeah, worked- my, my first cosplayer interview came out, so I was kind of I'm kind of excited to talk about cosplay. <laughs> like I've never done it before, but it, it's just something that fascinates me. So yeah. Yeah, like I, for me, I'm more of a casual costumer. I love doing it for the construction and the art aspect. And when you wear it, it's so much fun. Like I, I love doing that. It's, it's I've been doing it since 2002, 
and I'm really no longer in the community, but I do it once in a while, like once a year, I'll be like, hey, hey, I have something new for you guys. People are like, what? (laughs) Yes, I've been working on this. (laughs) I am not a part of the community. I don't really post a lot of my progress, but I've been in the works for six months on this. Ha ha. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for guesting. I very much appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to all of the various social media sites that we're on. Uh, I would point your attention to the Instagram where I post brief, like one minute clips of every episode as they come out. So you can kind of get an idea of what you're going to get into before jumping into the full episode. I also started a Patreon this year. So if you want to support the show directly, that'd be really cool. Uh, Don't feel like you have to, though. The show is always going to be free and listening is just fine. Thank you very much for the recent iTunes reviews. Uh, we've gotten some really nice ones, and those make me feel really good. Um, it's extremely nice to see that people like the show and also like the variety of guests that we have, and I, I really appreciate that. So thank you for those. And more importantly, just remember, don't give up, Skeleton. Cool. And we're good. Yeah, that, was, that was fantastic. I was, uh, I went by in such a flash. I looked up, and I was like, we're an hour in, and I'm rambling. <laughs> I need to... <laughs>